brothers and sisters, I invite you now to take your Bibles and we'll read from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, the, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, are, who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let us now sing songs. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we're going to pay particular attention to three verses of chapter 1 of Ephesians, the verses 4 through 6. I'd like to read them once more, just so we have them firmly in our minds. Ephesians 1, the verses 4 to 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In connection with this, I'd actually also like to read a section of the Canons of Dort, uh, chapter 1, article 7. It's on page 566 of our Book of Praise. So chapter 1, article 7, page 566, it's the election defined. And you'll notice our text is quoted in this article. Election defined. Election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world out of the whole human race, which had fallen by its own fault out of its original integrity into sin and perdition, he has, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his will, out of mere grace, chosen in Christ to salvation a definite number of specific persons, neither better nor more worthy than others, but involved together with them in a common misery. He has also from eternity appointed Christ to be the mediator and head of all the elect and the foundation of salvation. And thus he decreed to give to Christ those who were to be saved and effectually to call and draw them into his communion through his word and spirit. He decreed to give them true faith in him, to justify them, to sanctify them, and after having powerfully kept them in the fellowship of his Son, finally to glorify them for the demonstration of his mercy and the praise of the riches of his glorious grace. As it is written, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And elsewhere, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Later, I'm going to make reference to uh, several other articles from this chapter of the Canons of Dort. So if you like, you can have your, your book of praises handy to, to flip to that. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this section that we read from the letter to the Ephesians, actually, you can't see it in our English translation, but from verse 3 all the way up to verse 14 is, is one long sentence. It's nine verses, 202 words to be exact. And commentators have, have searched for metaphors, colorful, vivid enough, or adequate to try and capture and describe this sentence. One says it's a, a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. Another says it's a, a, it's a, a golden chain of many links. One describes it as the flight of an eagle. William Hendrickson says it's like a, like a snowball. In the wintertime, a snowball tumbling downhill and and growing bigger and bigger as it goes downhill. Maybe you could say it's like a, like a child who bursts in the door after school and is just full of stories about what happened, one tumbling out after another. So here's one long sentence about the 
praising God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for his work of salvation. But if you slow down and and look closely at this sentence from verse 3 to 14, you'll see that it's also, also carefully organized and deliberate. Verse 3, the first verse, serves as kind of an introduction and a summary. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And then it, it shows what those blessings are, what, what those blessings look like. Now, the concept of blessing, when applied to God, the concept of blessing means praise. We, we don't give God something, but we, we praise Him. Just like Psalm 72 says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. And then the rest of the verses explain why that is, why God is to be praised, what those blessings are. And if you slow down and look then at the following verses, verses 4 to 14, you notice a pattern that it's, it's structured on the Trinity. So verses 4 to 6 mostly focus on the work of God the Father, then verses 5 to 12, mostly on the work of God the Son, who gives us redemption, and then the verses 3 and 14 on the work of the Holy Spirit. Then each of these sections, verse 6, 12, 14, concludes with the phrase, to the praise of his glory. So you say it's, it's exuberant, but it's also carefully organized. So Paul is showing the Ephesians the wonderful work of salvation of God on their behalf. That's how he begins his correspondence, his communication to them. And that's something that, that they need. They need to hear. Something that we all need to hear. If you keep on reading through this letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has a lot of very concrete, practical instruction for our Christian life. So, chapter 4 talks about our speech, the way in which we need to talk to one another. It says we need to, to put aside bitterness, wrath, anger, and, and evil speaking. So, very, very concrete and, and you say, difficult, difficult instructions for how we, our, our words need to come out of our mouths. Also, also instruction about the relationship between husband and wife, and the way in which husbands and wives are to relate to one another. Husbands, you are to, to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, that's, that's a tall order, isn't it, to really understand how we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Children, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Servants, obey your masters. And so, throughout this letter, when you read through it, there's this challenging instruction for you about the way in which you're called to live as a believer, as a, as a New Testament Christian. Now, when you read through these, those instructions thoughtfully and, and carefully, yeah, you're, you're struck by the ways in which actually we've fallen short. Those these are challenging for us as, as people who are still sinners, redeemed by grace, but, but sinners. And so, if we're to only focus on this, this concrete instruction for your Christian life, 
that would, that would quickly become a heavy burden for us. Because you'd say, look, this is how I need to be in my marriage, but, but look, I, I can see I'm failing. Or this is the way my words say, this is the way my words need to be as a Christian, but, but I'm failing. Right? There, it's, it's not always like that. It hasn't been always like that. And so you'd say this, this could be quite a, a burdensome, difficult thing to read and to reflect on. And Christian life could, could be like that. And so the apostle begins the letter by showing God's unshakable love for us. So that we're, that we're captured by the, by the beauty of God's grace. Undeserved, unmerited, un, unworked for grace. Can you see the, the beauty of what the apostle is saying? Do you have a heart filled with, with praise for the Lord so that, that this Christian life then is not a burden, but actually it, it, it flows out of a heart that's, that's eager to serve the Lord, eager to live for Him, in response to, in response to His grace. So we, we understand the, the depth of God's love for us. Now the truth is, you and I, we, we lose sight of that. We don't always have that firmly in our minds. Our, our Christian life can be hard. We can get stuck in that rut where we're, where we're simply doing our, our callings out of, out of our duty. We, we live each day and we, we do our best, but it's, it's a sense of duty, not out of joy, but out of duty. And so this afternoon, we'll, we'll focus on specifically the verses 4 to 6, where the apostle highlights the work of God the Father for our salvation. And so I bring to you God's word with this theme, Praise the Father for his plan of salvation in Christ. And we'll see how we're chosen to holiness, predestined to adoption, and finally impelled to praise. So praise the Father for his plan of salvation in Christ. We'll see chosen to holiness, predestined to adoption, and impelled to praise. So the verse 4, the apostle, he, he takes us way back, way back to before the foundation of the world, to the beginning, before time. In eternity. In eternity before the world began, he says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us. The word is, is elect. Before anything came to be, before the world began, God chose his people who would be saved. It's in the Old Testament we read about how the Lord chose Abraham. The Lord chose Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel. Out of all the nations of the earth, the Lord chose the people of Israel. Not because they were in some way more worthy, but God set his love on them so they would be a holy people and they would belong to him. And many years later, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, he says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a, a, an incredible thing to think about, that God chose us in him before the world was, was founded. Before anything came to be, before anything was, God chose us in him. In him. Maybe you notice when we read through this this long sentence from verse 3 to 14, that expression comes up a number of times, in Christ, or 
in him or in the beloved. It actually, it comes up 36 times through the book of Ephesians in, in different forms. What does that mean to be in him, that he chose us in him? Well, every human being, every person, is connected to our first father, Adam. We are in Adam. We're connected to him. And so when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, the the toxic stream of, of corruption, which began in the Garden of Eden, flowed down through the human race. And so all of us are are connected to Adam in a sin. We are guilty of that original sin, and we also are are born in our DNA with a with a corrupt nature. We have we have corrupt hearts. We are in Adam. Romans five is Romans five twelve is the key text on that. So our hearts are are by nature inclined to sin. It comes easy for us. Selfishness comes easy. Pride comes easy. It's not hard. That's because that's our, our, our nature, which we've, we have in Adam. So all humans are in Adam. Our Lord Jesus took upon himself a true human nature. God laid upon him the sins of his people. He died to pay the penalty for sin. And anybody who believes in him is now in Christ, is connected to Christ, all the blessings that we have of forgiveness of sins, they, they come to us in Christ, through our, our connection with Christ. So we're, we're in Adam, but we're, we're in Christ as believers. And so the apostle says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chooses people not because of what they've done, but because of what Christ has done. And how could it be any other way for God has chosen before the creation of the world. Before your father was born, before your grandfather was born, God had chosen his people. Romans 9 gives the example of Jacob and Esau. Romans 9 speaks about Jacob and Esau and says, even before the twins had done good or evil, before they were born, before they had done anything, God had had chosen Jacob and had passed by Esau. So God doesn't choose people because they're so good or because of what they've done, or even because he knows in advance that they will believe in him. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it's completely the opposite way. It's completely the other way around. It says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should, should be holy and blameless. So that was his plan, that was his purpose in choosing us so that we would be holy, not because we are holy, but in order that we would be holy. It's the choosing that comes first. Before time, God chooses, and then during time, he, he works in our life through the proclamation of the gospel by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we become people who believe and who are holy and blameless in him. And so, that's the key. God's choice isn't based on your performance. It's not based on you and what you've done. He loves you because he loves you. That's what the Lord made so clear even to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. 
in Deuteronomy. He says uh, he hasn't set his love on them because they are, you know, more numerous than other nations. The Lord loves them because he loves them. It's his, his sovereign election, his free grace. And right away that gives God's people a, a firm foundation, a firm comfort. So the apostle writes this to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And in the ancient world, people served many different gods. In the city of Ephesus, apparently there was a temple to the goddess Artemis. That was well known, apparently one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But if you know anything about uh, Greco-Roman gods, you know that they were fickle. They were unreliable. So they'd have these, these weird stories about gods who would come down to earth and who would mess with people's affairs, who would have affairs and beget children and all sorts of weird stuff. But you can never, you can never really be sure where you stood with these gods. So you, you would placate them through your prayers and sacrifice, but still they were, they were unreliable. You never knew. There could be some tragedy unbeknown to you coming your way from a fickle God. And so into that world, the apostle brings a message of God who, before the foundation of the world, chose for himself his people. The, yeah, the Greco-Roman gods, they're fickle, kind of, well, kind of like people, actually, right? That's what people can be like. So when you're, when you're a student at school, Sometimes it can happen that one day somebody's your friend and unfortunately the next day they're not your friend, right? That's how, how people can be. We can be. We can be fickle. That's how it can be at work too. Your, your standing in a company is based on performance, right? Performance and how you're doing. Celebrities are, are applauded and adored for their accomplishments, for their looks, for what they're able to do. People are popular for their, their abilities, for being good at sports or being smart or attractive. And so that, that's what people are like, right? That's what people applaud. But that's not what God's like. Right? That's so clear. That's not what God is like. And we need this, this beautiful truth to really sink into our hearts. That our God has chosen us not based on performance, but before the foundation of the world. God doesn't love you because of what you've accomplished. He doesn't love you because of how you feel. But he loves us because he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world. If that weren't true, then reading through a book like Ephesians would be quite a discouraging experience for us, right? Because you'd read things and you'd say, yeah, I, 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 I'm not measuring up to this. I'm, I'm, I'm falling short. And so only when we understand God's grace in Jesus Christ can we push forward with, with joy. Now, somebody would say, well, okay, if this is true, you know, it's before the foundation of the world, it's in Christ, is, isn't that going to make somebody lazy? Right? Why, why bother trying hard if it, you know, it's already decided before the foundation of the world? Why, you know, why, why bother? Why try? Well, when God chooses a person and works in time through the preaching of the gospel and through the Holy Spirit, faith in the heart, then that, that, that makes a change. It does. It must. We're, we're sanctified. We're changed. 
I'd like if you have your book of praises handy, I'll read with you from Article 13 of that same chapter. It's page 568 of the Canons of Dora. Our, our canons here describe for us the value of the assurance that we have in election, and, and it shows very, very clearly how this doesn't make a person uh, lazy. It's Article 13, The Value of This Assurance, page 568. It says, The awareness and assurance of this election provide the children of God with greater reason for daily humbling themselves before God, for adoring the depth of His mercies, for cleansing themselves, and for fervently loving Him in turn who first so greatly loved them. It is therefore not at all true that this doctrine of election and the reflection on it makes them lax in observing the commandments of God or falsely secure. In the just judgment of God, this usually happens to those who rashly presume to have the grace of election or who idly and boldly chatter about it but refuse to walk in the ways of the elect. And so it's as our Lord Jesus said that, that a tree is known by its fruits. So a person who refuses to walk in the ways of the elect, who refuses to humble themselves and, and live according to God's commandments, demonstrates by that that they simply are not elect. God has chosen us, the apostle says, to be holy and blameless. The word blameless or without blame is is used in the Old Testament for the sacrifice, sacrifices, these sacrificial animals that God's people would bring to the temple, a sacrifice without blemish. And so Christ is sanctifying us by his Holy Spirit so that more and more we would be a people without blemish, presenting us to God holy and without blame. And when we understand God's love for us, which is something that we don't deserve, that also frees us up to love other people in the same way. To love people, not because of what they contribute toward us, but to love them as Christ has loved us. The holy life of a Christian is characterized by that same love, a love that gives freely and unconditionally, a love that is so very uncommon in our world. So the purpose of our election, that's our first point, that we're chosen to holiness. But the apostle tells us more. His plan is that we're, we're also predestined to be adopted, to share in Christ's sonship. And that's our second point. We're chosen to holiness, but we're also predestined to adoption. We know that God determines everything in advance. God is almighty and completely sovereign over all things, heaven and earth, leaf, blade, rain, drought, fruitful barren years, food, drink, health, sickness, riches, and poverty. We also know that he's in control of the future destiny of his people, of his children. And that's captured by this word the apostle uses, uh, predestined. You see the, the prefix pre, before, predestined, your, your destiny. Your, the destiny is, is predetermined by God so that we would be adopted as his sons beautiful image. It's a beautiful image that the Lord uses for our relationship with Him. Adoption. Adoption. 
in the Roman world into which the Apostle was writing, much the same as today, adoption was a very serious, rigorous legal relationship. When the adoption process is complete, that means that the child has, has a new father. It's part of the family. In that case, often it meant they, they would receive the inheritance. People would adopt somebody to, if they had no, no heir, they'd adopt somebody to receive their inheritance. Now, some of the Ephesian Christians, it's clear from the letter, some of them hadn't grown up as Christians. The Apostle says that formerly they were sons of disobedience, that they were children of wrath. They lived a life of sin. They lived like the devil was their father. And so the Apostle writes that they, they need to realize and they need to understand that now they really belong to God's family, that they really truly belong to God's family. For centuries, it was, it was the Jewish people, the people of Israel, who are God's chosen people. But now also the, the Gentiles are included. Those who were far away, he's brought near. And so they need to understand that they belong as part of God's household, part of his family. And that this isn't something that just has happened on the fly. This is not just some ad hoc plan, but that this is God's, God's plan before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Christ, predestined to adoption, and it's a, it's a solid relationship. Because when everything, when everything's healthy and going well in a home, then children, they can know that dad and mom, they love them, and that they care for them no matter what. So even as a family, you might, you might disagree with each other and get frustrated with each other and fight from time to time. But in a family, we know that these are people who are loyal to us and committed to us. Not because of what you do, but because of what you are. Part of the family. You're my son, you're my daughter. And the apostle makes this clear again. He says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Right? By Jesus Christ. So it's not because of what you've done. No, it's because of what Christ has done by Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, because of his righteousness, he says, you are predestined to adoption by Jesus Christ, because of him. And so that means that you don't have to worry day by day whether or not you're good enough to be part of the family. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean that you need to, to have anxiety day by day that you're going to do something that's going to get you kicked out of the family. No, those God has chosen, those God has predestined, he has made permanently part of the family. As somebody said, the adoption papers are signed with the ink of his blood. And so nothing can cancel that work that he's done. The apostle says that God has done this according to the purpose of his will. Verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. That's the, that's the driving force behind it. God has a purpose, God has a plan, and everything happens in accordance with his, his will, his purpose. Like you have your, your book of praise, I'd like to read another one, Article 10. It's on page 567. And the article here summarizes uh, the truth that we find in our text, how election is based on, on God's purpose, God's good pleasure.
Article 10, election based on God's good pleasure. The cause of this gracious election is solely the good pleasure of God. This good pleasure does not consist in this, that out of all possible conditions, God chose certain qualities or actions of man as a condition for salvation. But in this, that out of the common mass of sinners, he adopted certain persons to be his own possession. For it is written, though they, the twins, were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, and so on, she, namely Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There it makes so clear that the the basis is in God's good pleasure, in God's will, not on anything, not on anything he foresaw in our lives. Not that God could see in advance that, that we would believe. No, it's based on God's good pleasure. Don't overlook that, that word pleasure. Sometimes we have something that you, we need to do, some, some duty that you need to perform, and yeah, you, maybe you don't want to do it, but you know, this is, this is what I got to do, so we'll, we'll go ahead and do it, right? That's not, that's not God's decree of election. That God's people are not some disgusting burden, some unwanted child. No, this is God's good pleasure. When God chooses people according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his good pleasure, that's not some uh, grim duty, but it's his pleasure. It's his delight. It's his free, undeserved love. And we have a word for that. That's the word grace. Grace, undeserved favor. And that brings me to the third point, how we're impelled then to praise. So we see we're, we're chosen to holiness, we're predestined to adoption, and finally we're impelled to praise. It says, God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. God has predestined us to be adopted as children. It says, God has done all this to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the ultimate purpose for our salvation, to bring praise to God, to the praise of his glorious grace. So God receives all the glory for our salvation. So we can see how God's grace is, is amazing, how God's grace is, is glorious, how God does rescue us not because we, we deserve it. No, it shows how gracious God is. Glory, glorious, it means impressive, amazing, heavy, significant, weighty. And so understanding the doctrine of election, it, it shows us God's glory. It shows us what God is like. Brothers and sisters, that's amazing, but it's also hard for us to accept sometimes. The fact is, you and I were wired to be proud. That's, that's our sinful nature, that, that's, that's that toxic sin that, that we're conceived and born in. The idea of, of grace, freely given grace, that doesn't come naturally to us. 
doesn't come naturally to give it, it doesn't come naturally to receive him. We would like some of the credit. We like some of the, the honor. We like people to be impressed with us. We like others to, to prove that, that somehow we are worthy of being treated in a special way. But we can't, and we don't. We're sinners. We're, we're not good enough. He's made us acceptable in his beloved. He says he's blessed us, verse 6, he's blessed us in the beloved. Now, who's the beloved? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. He's blessed us in Jesus Christ. And so the consequence of the doctrine of election to understanding this is that it, it pushes us to humility. The doctrine of election is, is humbling. It's all God's work. It's hard to know how the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, could make this any clearer. It says, he, this happens to you in Christ. It says, by Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ, in the Beloved. He chose you but before you were born, before the foundation of the world. It's, it's so clear that it's not, it's not because of us, not because of what we've done. And so, we shouldn't be proud, and we shouldn't seek glory for ourselves. It's also very comforting. Because it shows us that God's election is solid, right? It's before the foundation of the world, and it's, it's being worked out in time in our lives. God has a plan, and that perfect plan, he doesn't change. God's not capricious and unstable. Now, we sometimes are. You know, sometimes we might feel very strong in our faith and, and confident, and other times we might be struggling with, with weaknesses and struggling with doubts. There's times when we maybe are, are, are very joyful and, and feeling great, and other times when we're, when we're down in the dumps. Also, every day we need to repent from sins that we've committed, things that we've said, thought, and done that are not right, are not good. But God, God doesn't change. God's plan is reliable and solid, despite the fact that you and I are, are up and down. And so that gives you comfort. That gives you a solid security, brothers and sisters, doesn't it? And that leads us to praise. It humbles us. It gives us comfort. And that, that leads us to praise. And that's what this text is about. That this is to the praise of His glorious grace. And so commentators have struggled to find words that are, are vivid enough, are, are colorful enough to capture the beauty of this truth, this sentence, that it's like, a, like a, an eagle soaring or like it's a, like a, a burst of color. Let us pray that by the Holy Spirit you would grow in understanding of your salvation, that your eyes would, would be open to, to seeing the beauty that we be enlightened to understand the, the riches of his glory and his great power for us who believe. So that you can also say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen.